Welcome to Voices of the Valley, a captivating podcast series that brings together some of the brightest minds in the agriculture industry. Straight from the field to your living room, we explore the challenges, innovation, and triumphs in modern day farming and provide insight for consumers who are curious about where their food comes from. Welcome to this week's Voices of the Valley. I'm your host, Corey Lundy. Before I get into our segment, I'd like to thank all of our listeners who have been with us since we started our podcast in 2018, and to all of our guests who have joined us along the way. Most importantly, I want to thank Dennis Donahue, Director of the Western Growers Center for Innovation and Technology, who has been the voice behind the Voices of the Valley since its inception. Over time, we've recognized there's a substantial audience eager to gain a deeper understanding of how our food system works. Taking that into consideration, we've expanded our podcast to include a broader range of topics to meet the needs of our growing audience. This season, I'm excited to bring you a Voices of the Valley podcast that will not only include Dennis's valuable insights on ag tech, but also commentary from experts in other areas of agriculture. We'll be covering everything from science to legislation to busting common myths about agriculture. We're here to give you the what, where, when, why, who, and how of food and agriculture. And our goal is to make sure you leave with a deeper connection to the farmers who grow your food. In this week's podcast, we'll be joining Dennis Donahue and Gina Cadby, Western Growers Environment and Climate Director, as they delve into the wonderful world of innovation in agriculture. As agriculture evolves, so does its challenges, like water scarcity, water quality, pests and diseases, labor shortages, and regulatory and marketplace demands. But over time, technological advancements have helped farmers address these challenges while increasing productivity. This week, explore what the Western Grower Center for Innovation and Technology is doing to prepare startups for opportunities and possible hurdles they'll face in the marketplace, and how science is working to advance climate-smart practices in agriculture. Also, hear about GreenLink, Western Grower's secure online platform that enables users to confidentially share critical food safety data. Let's jump in. This is Dennis Donahue. Welcome to an episode of Voices of the Valley. And today I am uh, joined by Gina Cadby, who is uh, the Director of Environment and Climate, also with Western Growers, the Science Group. Gina, welcome. Thank you, Dennis, for having me. Nice to see you. Uh, I'm looking forward to this conversation. It kind of reminds me when uh, we first got started with the Innovation Center, science and innovation were joined together, and today they're their own groups because there's so much activity. And uh, so I'm going to look forward to uh, uh, sharing a little bit about what we do at the Innovation Center, and I think folks are going to be really excited to hear about what you're up to on the science side. Absolutely. I agree. Thanks, Dennis. So let's jump right in with uh, who you are and your background and how you ended up with the position you have and, and why it's important. And also, I think why it speaks to what Western Growers does for its members, the services it provides and that type of thing. So, Sure. So my background is primarily in plant soil sciences, a lot of research work and agronomy work in particular. And right before joining Western Growers, I was part of a startup that is a biological product company that was happened to be a CIT startup company. So I was acutely aware of all of the wonderful tools and opportunities that the CIT offered for their member companies. 
Soon after I joined Western Growers as the Environment and Climate Director, I was also had the privilege to work with Dennis at the CIT on a couple of projects, including biologicals, which I hope we'll talk a little bit about more. I'm currently on the science team, and a lot of our focus is really has been on food safety in the past. And now as an industry, we're doing a lot more work in sustainability and acknowledging, you know, changes in our climate. So I do think that this is a very timely position to be in, and I'm very grateful to be here. So very much looking forward to this discussion about that. Well, and I think your comments speak to, uh, you know, what we try and do as science and innovation on behalf of our members. And the fact you're here reflects, uh, you know, that expansion of primarily food safety to dealing with uh, sustainability and environment and climate. Obviously, it's an important conversation everywhere you look, whether it's society, politically, et cetera. But the reality is our growers, you know, I I like to tell people growing food uh, is the intersection of a lot of folks' uh, agendas. And the fact that you're here and we're responding to that, I think really speaks directly to what's our mission to serve our members. Absolutely. I agree. And I think, you know, in the past few years, the CIT has also done a lot to be up to date with what is being asked of from our membership. So any updates on what's going on with the CIT? Any new priorities? Well, there are. And and I'll just quickly... uh, you know, just by way of introduction, I do run the CIT, you know, for those of uh, trying to sort out all the acronyms in our life, Center for Innovation and Technology. So this is the Western Growers Center for Innovation and Technology, and, and we're housed in Salinas for any of our new listeners. And I think our mission is, the mission statement talks about enhancing the economic outlook for our members, and I think helping our members prepare for the future which really was the genesis of the Innovation Center. That uh, And we have a pretty proactive board, and they really thought about that. They thought long and hard about, okay, you know, a lot of times when you're dealing with weather and outdoors, you, you have to react to things. And But to the degree you can kind of begin to take control and be proactive and lean into the future, I was really impressed that the board came up with uh, the thought that, you know, we've got to think about technology and innovation. And I like the fact innovation was included in, the, in that word because all innovation is not necessarily technology, but, but a lot of it is. And, and so the Innovation Center has really kind of served as the physical manifestation of that strategy. So I think both of our areas really reflect one of the opportunities uh, being involved with Western Growers Present. And once upon a time, I was a grower shipper. I was in the game. I was a Western Growers member, and I, and I really thought it was, you know, a number of terrific trade groups. But from a production ag standpoint, you know, what to me, Western Growers was always the essential organization. So I've really appreciated the opportunity to continue to work with, with our members. And it's interesting when people think about innovation in ag, because I think sometimes there's this perception that ag is slow to adopt. And the reality is ag's pretty good about innovation and in my view and with your background I'm going to guess you've seen the same thing I absolutely I would say we've been innovating for a very long time one of the innovations that I will say if I can brag about our team a little bit is with the GreenLink platform that we've been working on which is the first industry food safety data sharing platform for fresh produce and Users can analyze their individual company's food safety data and anonymously compare and benchmark food safety performance with aggregate industry data. 
And it was recently adopted by the California LGMA, which is the California Leafy Greens Marketing Agreement. And, you know, this is a big step in the food safety space. And there is potential for more projects using the GreenLink platform. And essentially, California LGMA will be using this to help them implement their program. And we're very excited to host that. Well, and I think the whole conversation about data is really moving to a front burner position in terms of innovation and business processes and that type of thing. So that's a critical one. We very much live in a world of data now, and there are opportunities to collect data and analyze that data. And part of it is how do we access that data? And part of it is what do we do with this data, right? So there's kind of two sides to it. And GreenLink really allows for all of that data to be leveraged in a way where food safety outcomes are achievable and visualized. So it's important for consumers because, you know, maybe it's something that you would pay attention to when there is a food safety outbreak, but when there isn't, you're not really thinking about food safety outbreaks, right? And that's what we want. We want to reduce food safety outbreaks to an extent where consumers don't even have to worry about it at all. When I think about innovation, I just I just think of our own valley, the Salinas Valley. You know, over a hundred years ago, the ability to top ice rail cars turned what was essentially a regional valley and in industry to a national valley. And, you know, then 20 years later, here came the freezer, also out of this valley. And then some 20 years later, give or take, vacuum cooling, changing the cooling, and then you go down the road and uh, the packaged salad industry was trying to be born in the late 70s and the 80s and then exploded in the early 90s. So innovation is certainly nothing new to the Valley, and that's probably the process I'm the most familiar with. Now, from an ag tech standpoint, as we've gotten involved in uh, technology and innovation, you know, I don't think we've quite caught up with Moore's Law where everything doubles every year, but uh, the game is starting to move really, really fast now. But it is interesting to kind of note that pace of change, 20 years, 20 years, 10 years, and now all of a sudden things are moving much more rapidly. We recently had our automation event in September, FIRA USA, And one of my favorite parts about that event was the in-field demos of all of the equipment. I thought that was so neat to be able to see it working in action. However, there was also a lot of discussion about AI and how we're integrating new technologies into these automation projects. And then also how we can get grower feedback in these new projects, because that's really the key point, right? Is it adding value to growers? And really, that's the takeaway, I think. Yeah, well, you know, at the end of the day, the reason there's been progress is because technology and growers got together and the game shifted very quickly to co-development. And uh, in fact, I was just involved in a, an event where we had the grower, the technology company, and I'm, I'm happy to mention them and give them a plug, the borough, who frankly helped introduce kind of a new category within automation of harvest assist. And uh, so we had grower, the borough, and the supervisor who actually was identified as the person who could use the technology, work with the workforce, and go, look, this is 
not threatening. This is actually an opportunity. And so the grower, and, and publicly, you know, and, you know, I put him on the spot a little bit because he talked about, besides using the burrow, he talked about uh, a different way to prune and eliminating ladders, better working conditions, so innovation, technology, one-two punch in, in their operations. And then I asked him the question, and oh, by the way, did you replace anyone? Answer, no, but their working conditions were better. And there were some new opportunities for some of the workers. And I, so I think that's the other important thing to recognize, that really improving productivity, better working conditions is at the heart of a lot of this. So technology, and this is, in hindsight, really exciting. It's allowed us to keep up with some of the labor shortages we've had and, and that sort of thing. And so it's been a positive development from that standpoint. And it is interesting. I remember, and I think this is an important thing, certainly we would want folks to know that, you know, our key problems and harvest automation is one of them. We don't feel that we have the latitude of letting the market set up and just operate randomly, that we need to be strategic and intentional. So that's been one of the evolutions of the center. We still want to do the everyday business of Folks want to get to know our growers and have access to our marketplace, and we want to do that everyday work. But we do think it has, it's become important to be a bit more strategic. So this harvest automation in particular, because we kind of felt, you know, the repetitive aspect of uh, automation was moving forward pr- probably as well as it could be expected. I mean, it, it could always be faster. The other area that has since become strategic in the last couple of years is this whole area of biologicals that there continues to be a lot of regulatory activity, large customer interest or expectations on behalf of their customers. And uh, so those things, if we're going to be proactive, we have to anticipate some of those things in terms of are we going to lose some of our tools that we typically farm with, coupled with, and, you know, we've kind of summarized that whole process of we're heading towards a world of uh, less chemistry, more biology. So integrated pest management pie chart is going to change in terms of percentages. But we also recognize that on the, the chemistry side, that doesn't solve problems. So there's really a unique opportunity for innovation in that space, too. And we want to address that. So we've started to uh, get strategic in that area. And that speaks directly to your background, why that's important. We recently partnered with the Mixing Bowl to produce a biological map, the landscape map, which revealed a lot of companies, right? These are just the companies, let alone the products themselves. So how do we then filter down all of these products in a way where we can provide our growers a meaningful understanding of what realistically is out there? Yeah, no, I think that's important because one of the challenges in the biological world, I think from a grower's perspective, is they know there are a lot of products. They may have some familiarity with some of them in their own operations, but I think they're not quite where I think the biological community would like the grower community to be with consistency. And so to your point, the landscape map, which shows some 1,400 different companies, that's a lot for uh, obviously growers to take in. And that speaks to, uh, you know, the whole ecosystem surrounding you know, how do you grow things, you know, in terms of suppliers, dealers, pest control advisors, et cetera, and on and on and on. So with that in mind, and speaking of partners, one of the things that uh, I'm really excited about is uh, we are partnering with uh, New Zealand's uh, based uh, Wharf 42 and just launched Platform 10, as we're calling it, with the idea that this biological conversation is an important one. It's a global one. 
And uh, so we've created this platform with the idea that we need to be educating and communicating. And then we're also taking a look at that, you know, kind of a deep dive, but a focused one in terms of what are some products that are really on the bubble and ready to move and, and how can uh, being strategic and intentional and working directly with the Grobert community throughout the world, how can we accelerate some progress? Because the reality is problems are immediate. Regulatory activity, uh, for instance, in Europe, they want to reduce pesticides 50% by 2030. And, you know, our almond industry exports to Europe. So that's a customer base. So, you know, so we're already looking at some deadlines, particularly when, you know, the product development cycle, you know, on the synthetic side historically has been a decade. And uh, biologicals, as you look to get more rigor from a data standpoint, trial standpoint, it's not an overnight deal. So the launching of that platform, 10, we, we think is really important. Uh, we're bringing back the Salinas Biological Summit, which is our educational platform this June, and we're, we're looking forward to that. And what I found particularly exciting about the first summit is we had over 300 people from 10 different countries, and we want to look to maintain and expand that international component to it because the one thing about materials on the in, the in the crop protection world is if you look at all the main products and a lot of the suppliers, it's a global game. Have you set any dates for the Salinas Biological Summit? It will be June 25th and 26th in downtown Salinas. And it's a really unique venue and we had a terrific experience last year and we hope to uh, replicate that this year. Absolutely. And it- It really brought a lot of different groups together. You know, we had regulatory representation, we had grower representation, and we had products company representation as well. And it personally, I think it really spurred much needed conversation around things that are not just on biologicals in terms of the registration process for new products coming down the pipeline. How do we expedite that? How do we make that available to growers sooner with data that is effective and is has high efficacy. You know, when I look at any strategic initiative, just as, because I'm running the Innovation Center, I know a lot of teamwork is going to be involved. I tend to gravitate towards, okay, what's the product that we can get in front of the growers? You, on the other hand, have a much broader and critical charter on the science side to look at all this. So as you think about the biologicals, you know, what does all of that entail as it relates to the products we grow and for the customers who are going to buy them? I do think it would be good to talk a little bit about what biologicals are because it is sometimes difficult to define. Some people might have a really clear idea in their head of what it is, but then others, you know, they're really deep in this space and still don't really know how to define biologicals. Well, since you're the one with the PhD, (laughs) I'm going to let you do that. So, you know, when we're looking at biologicals and Dennis, you know, with the biological summit that was very successful earlier this year, we did have to do a little bit of defining of biologicals. So I don't know that I'll let you off the hook that easily in terms of defining what it is. So with biologicals, when we think about how we want to define this as a category, this could be, you know, Traditionally, we'll look at it as a biopesticide, which is a biological product that acts as a pest control tool or a biostimulant which works to stimulate plant growth or a biofertilizer which is used either in place of a traditional fertilizer or in conjunction with a traditional fertilizer to improve uptake or whatever it might be so those are the general three categories 
There are kind of, you know, gray areas where it might be a pheromone, for example, or a biological pest control um, insect release, something like that. You know, that could technically be a biological. So, you know, if you're rearing insects for pest control, that might fall into that category. But based on your experience with putting together the biological summit, what would you say to that? Well, no, I, th- I think you've out- outlined it very well. But, you know, what I'm really intrigued by our initiative is I think there's some great innovation possibilities, that there just simply are some problems that are not being solved. And, you know, this kind of gets back to your area with climate change. You know, growers are adapting to that and making some changes. I, I might bring it up from a practical standpoint. I was really intrigued by a conversation I had with one of our table grape growers, and he said, well, all I know is... It's rainier in August than it typically has been and windier in the spring than it has been. So I'm thinking about trellis design. I'm thinking about hoops and or possibly netting and that type of thing. So a clear adaptation to something's changed. And I and I really think that's in our the growers I know their their DNA. How do I you know, what's the situation? How do I solve the problem? You know, but your background when you get into the specifics, what are the consequences? One of the things we know with a lot of this warmer, wetter weather is, you know, pest infestation is much more severe than it's been in some time. You know, fortunately, we had a lot of rain this winter. But prior to that, you know, there were a lot of, you know, you'd hear growers talking about, you know, with kind of drought conditions, the the change in the salinity of the ground, you know, soil diseases proliferated, that type of thing. And consumers, even though they don't know it specifically, they want those problems solved, you know, because, you know, they're not interested in us shipping romaine or lettuce with big cedars in the middle of the, the iceberg lettuce or that type of thing, or, you know, they would prefer a nice round head of lettuce rather than stunted growth, that type of thing. So all these tools are meant to ensure our customers have the supply they need and consumers have the quality they want. Agreed. You know, there's changes in our climate that are producing new diseases and new threats in places that we've not seen before. So the search is always on, right, for products and even techniques growing practices, it's not all about what product can I apply. Sometimes it's about what practices can I update to address this constant pressure to make sure that we're delivering the quality produce that we're able to do. So a question for you, because I know uh, sustainability comes under your portfolio and people will probably figure this out. I am older than you and I've been around the industry for a long time and we've been talking about sustainability for a long time. What is that word today? I mean, what's the priority? And, you know, and then you're being familiar with soil health. I I think, you know, it's interesting. And I think part of our job is to try and educate folks. Sustainability isn't one thing. Regenerative isn't one thing. And the Midwest is not the West Coast and specialty crops. What's that conversation look like these days as it relates to science and, and then our members go to market? You're absolutely right. It's a big umbrella under sustainability. And as you mentioned before, you know, we have unpredictable weather patterns. We're seeing wetter, wet seasons, drier, dry seasons. And with El Nino weather patterns coming up and we're in it right now, you know, we need to be able to build resilience. So I think the step past sustainability is actually resiliency. How do we prepare and be resilient against all of these unexpected changes? I've spent a lot of years with a lot of the 
you know, of our grower members. And, you know, one of my favorite sayings is George Washington Carver, you know, who supposedly did the peanut in the 19th century. I'll take everyone's word for it. And my favorite phrase is, uh, you know, the challenge is to do the common thing uncommonly well. And I think, you know, the folks I'm familiar with, you know, in our world, I think they do do that. And as I look at them, but besides being terrific growers, you know, they've got problem solving in their DNA. And so, you know, the modern challenges of sustainability, climate, environment, they're going to figure out a way to address that. And I think it's important that people understand that they're going to make those uh, adaptations because, one, it's the right thing to do. It's smart economics, but it's, it's also what where our immediate customers and the consumer are. You know, they'd like to know that the folks who are producing uh, fresh fruits, vegetables, and nuts uh, have them in mind. And, uh, you know, and again, I'll go back to I've spent 30 years around these folks, and, uh, and they do. And I think, I think folks need to know that. Well, Gina, we're going we're gonna to wrap things up. And so I'm going to thank you for joining uh, Voices of the Valley. I love it. Thank you. Yes. If you love science and you love the science of agriculture, <laughs> tune into our future podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Dennis. It's always such a pleasure to talk it, to it you. It always is. Great to see you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's Voices of the Valley. Today's episode was produced by Kara Timmons. And a special thanks to Dennis Donahue and Gina Cadby for joining us and sharing their valuable insights on ag tech and science. In our next episode, we'll be exploring some common misconceptions in agriculture with Julia Nellis, Western Grower Social Media Manager, and special guest Celeste Alonzo, a third-generation grower from Junior Enterprises in the Coachella Valley. They will address audience questions on pesticides, organic and conventional farming, water conservation, and more. Maybe you can use some of these nuggets as conversation starters at your next social gathering. We have a lot more to share with you this upcoming season, including how state and federal laws impact the farmers who grow your food, women in farming, food safety, pest management, and more. So be sure to tune in each week as we take you on a journey to learn more about where your food comes from and how it gets to your table. If you enjoyed our podcast today, be sure to follow us on X, formerly Twitter, and leave a comment and let us know your thoughts. You can find us at our handle, at Western Growers. Dive into the conversation, and who knows, you could be one of the lucky recipients selected to win some of our coveted Western Growers merchandise. That's a wrap for this week's Voices of the Valley. I'm Corey Lundy. See you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of the Valley, a Western Growers production. Produced by Corey Lundy, Ann Donahue, Michelle Rivera, Kara Timmons and Julia Nellis. As always, we'd like to give a special shout out to our guest for joining us. Don't forget to like and subscribe to catch our future episodes, and we invite you to follow us on social media to continue the conversation.